Uh, if we have not met before, my name is James. I'm on staff here. And uh, I, uh, we're in the midst of a, a series called All In. And in this series, what we're doing is we're encouraging those who call HCC home to kind of fully engage, to go all in in the relationship with God, in their relationship with other Christians, in their relationship with their church. Now, uh, our lead pastor, Greg, he's kind of the guy who decides what we're preaching on. He's like, here's the, here's the series, here's the topic, here's the scripture, and then he assigns dates. And so on January 8th, Greg was like, okay, you're preaching on the importance of corporate worship, the importance of, of coming together on Sundays and through the week with, with the body of believers. And then this week, Greg's got me preaching on, on giving, uh, on money. Um, and so Greg gets to preach on like, here, read your Bible and uh, let's get together in relationship. And then he's like, you tell them, you tell them, get your butts in church and give your money. Um, I was like, I don't know what I did to make Greg so upset that he did this to me, but uh, it is what it is. Now, here's the thing. I know when we're like, we're preaching on money, we're not like, yes. Nobody's like super excited we're going to preach about money or giving usually. But here's, here's the thing. Most churches, we do three to four Sundays a year on giving, on average. 7% of the annual sermons on money and giving. But if we were to follow Jesus' example, he's like hitting 25% of his, his preaching on money. And so uh, 25% of his words in the Gospels are related to our resources and our stewardship of them. 16 of his 38 parables address money and possession. So Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, <clears throat> than he did hell, and loving our neighbor. Now Jesus, he, he wasn't a fundraiser. Like, he, he wasn't out, like, collecting all this money so that he could live this lavish lifestyle. He, he says, like, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's, it's, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm, I'm homeless. He doesn't have a ton of money. But if Jesus talked so much about money, there's probably a reason for it. And the reason most likely is, is that he knew that money and possessions could be an issue for us. That he wanted to tackle this head on and deal with it. Now, there's hardly a person that I know that does not talk about money in some way every day. We talk about it with our spouse. I think money is the number one source of arguments in marriages. Um, we, we plan around our money. So, like, maybe it's, it's this, that you're, like, you talk about money. It's like, how much money did you give the kids for lunch this week? Or maybe it's this, what about the cost of groceries lately? And we, we kind of complain about that, or, oh, they're raising gas again, and we, we don't like that. Or we go, do we have enough money in the budget to do a vacation this year? Or maybe it's something simple as, like, what do we, what do we grab for dinner? And money is a part of our conversations every day. Now, it shouldn't shock us that church, churches ask for financial support from those who call their church home. Now, giving is not something that the churches kind of came up or the church came up with. It's like, oh, let's get rich. That's not, that's not what church, like, somebody said this. If you, if you go into ministry, you're either dumb or you're a crook or you're a dumb crook. Um, it's like, it's not a great way to kind of get rich. That's not why churches should preach on money. It's not why we preach on money. But this is something that God's always asked for from his people. That, that he deals with our money and our possessions. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy from the, for the Lord, or holy to the Lord. 
Now, it's, it's not just kind of the, 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 the things that the land produces. Eventually, this moves into our finances. And it's kind of, as God's people, it's hard to get around this idea that God cares about our, our money and how we handle it and the role that it plays in our lives. Now, I follow a, a woman on uh, Instagram. Her name is Erica Kohlberg, and she's a corporate lawyer, and she's a finance expert. And she puts out these videos in which she kind of tells people, here's what you're entitled to. Um, should a company fail to do what they told you what they would do, or should something kind of go wrong? And so she let her subscribers know, I don't know if this works in Canada or not, but here's an example. She said, if, say, I think it was Sunwing, if they lose their, your baggage, you get to your destination, it's not there, they could owe you up to $3,800 to kind of buy the things that you need while you're there because your, your bag didn't make it. Now, it's not that they're like, here's $3,800, no questions asked. You, you have to kind of submit receipts, go through this process. But, but she lets people know, this is like, don't settle for the 20 bucks that they might offer you. She's going like, you could be um, entitled to much, much more. And her, her tagline is this, like, I follow Erica and she's a lawyer and reads the fine print so that I don't have to. And it's often in the fine print or kind of in the small details that, that we might look for a loophole or we might look for a way out when, when we don't necessarily want to do something. Some people, they kind of go like, you know what, I found the fine print or I've read the fine print, I found the loophole in giving. When they look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, this is, this is a verse many of us have probably heard. It says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And so sometimes we can look at this and go, okay, I found my out. Here's how I don't have to give. Because when I give, I don't feel cheerful. I don't feel joyful. I'm, I'm reluctant. I'm miserable even when I give money. So I, I better not disobey the Lord. I better not give money. Now, I'm not going to be up here like telling you to disobey God. Like if, if you're miserable, can't be joyful or cheerful about it, don't give. But I, I don't think we should kind of go like, awesome, okay, let's, let's go home. Like we should not rest there and feel comfortable with that. Do you think God's like, yeah, cool, stay there? Like, like think about this, that everywhere in the Bible, covetousness and greed are condemned and generosity and charity are encouraged. Think about who God is, that God creates everything, he creates you, he gives you life, and then he, he gives creation essentially to humanity. He says, like, kind of rule over it, enjoy it, enjoy all the blessings that come with it. There's common graces for every person. Now, we live in this creation, and it's not long after. It's like, ah, we'll do our own thing. We'll be our own God. We sin, we go our own way. We get ourselves into this mess that we can't fix. And does God go, well, you tried. No, he, he, what's it say? Like John chapter three, verse 16. It's like, God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So God gives his son. Jesus arrives here on earth. He lives a sinless life. Does Jesus kind of get shoved to the cross? No, he willingly goes to the cross. He gives up his life for us that because he does that, we can be forgiven. We can have relationship with God. And then when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, what does God do? He gives us his spirit. And not just his spirit who's with us. He gives us his spirit who, who gives us gifts. And he's like, come on, participate in the mission. 
I've got more for you. Now, if you're going like, I don't really care about that. I'm not a Christian. This is all whatever. The reality is you're living under the common grace of God that God has given you skills and abilities to work and earn money. Now, here, here, okay, so late afternoon, uh, one day last week, I was working and I hear a knock at the door. Um, I go up and there's this young guy. I say young, he was like 23, which is seeming younger and younger to me. Um, but he's holding a tablet. And he, I open the door. He's like, I'm with one of the phone companies and I'm here telling everybody about some great deals that are going on in our neighbor, or your neighborhood. And I don't know about you, but these guys show up at my door and here's what happens. I'm like, be firm, James. <laughs> Give them nothing. Don't let them get excited. Don't give them hope that you're going to buy whatever it is they're, they're peddling. Just, just be, be strong. And so I'm like, okay, I'm ready. And he's like, okay, the first one is we've got some mobile phone plans. And uh, he tells me what they are. And I was like, actually, our mobile phone plans are better. No, thank you. Um, and, and then he, he does this. He looks around. He goes, I noticed that you don't have a camera monitoring system. And I, uh, th- that puts my guard up. I'm like, what are you doing, scoping my place out? Like, are you going to come back for a return visit? And then he's like, well, we can offer you a a security system. And that's going to give you security and peace of mind. Don't you want that? And, like, I I was just kind of like, I'll I'll investigate it. I'll see if it's something that that we need. Like, I'm not going to buy it from you right now. But I was like, you don't care about my peace of mind. You don't care about my security. You just want my money. Because like you got some guy who's saying like, here's your sales quota to fill. And it's like, you need to hit that. So that's what you're after. And, and like anytime somebody shows up on my doorstep, they got a lanyard on, they're carrying a tablet. I'm going like, you're just trying to take my money. <laughs> you just want that. And it's like, I don't want to give it to you unless you're selling Girl Guide mint chocolate chip cookies or mint chocolate cookies. It's like, take my money. You, you, you can have it. Now, the reason I tell this is like, sometimes I know when churches talk about giving and finances, that's where we are. We're, we're, not, we're not thinking like, we're, we're kind of going like, you just want my money. You just want to separate me from my money. And what I'm hoping that we'll see today is that God is not after our money. He's after our heart. God is not after your money. God is after your heart. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to be Matthew chapter 6, kind of camping out there. And starting in verse 19, it says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys And where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus gives us this foolproof test to know what it is we treasure most. He goes, look at how you use your money. And money is a sensitive topic. And according to Jesus, because it's it's a heart issue. But it's also kind of a, a spiritual issue as well. Verse 24 Jesus says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so according to Jesus, our our, our credit card statement, our, our bank statement, that can be used as a spiritual diagnostic tool. It can tell us what it is we treasure most. And so if we don't claim to worship Jesus, this verse is not problematic. Like we can just kind of, 
keep going on on our day, like no worries, no stress. But if we're going, Jesus is Lord and Savior. We're a Christian. This verse should cause us to kind of stop and look at our lives and go, what is it that I'm actually pursuing most? Is it God or wealth, possessions, and pleasure? Like every one of us wants to feel significant. I've never met somebody who's like, I want to feel insignificant. And for some reason, we look for kind of that significance or we find it in our stuff. Like th- think about rappers. Like they want to show everybody they're a big deal. What do they do? Bigger chains, more diamonds, bigger stacks of cash that they're flexing for the gram. And they're going like, I'm a pretty big deal, right? This is how they kind of show it. Like I'm significant, take notice of me. Now, I don't know if anybody's doing it here. I haven't seen anybody like flexing their cash for the gram uh, in that way. But we ourselves do it in different ways. Like I've said it's weird. Like we look for significance through retail therapy sometimes. This feels good to click the buy now button on Amazon for some reason. (laughs) It's weird how like new clothes make us feel like a better person that we feel more significant because we have the latest iPhone. We're like, take notice of me. Or we drive a nicer car and we're like, I'm a pretty big deal, right? And we, we find significance in these things and money allows us to buy more stuff and money seems to provide opportunities and makes us feel more secure than almost any other earthly thing does. But Jesus knows that money can be a dangerous thing. I was... Uh, I was doing a crossword puzzle uh, a week or two ago, and I'm just like, I do those because I practice, so when I get old, they'll be easier for me. Um, But it was a four-letter word, and it was this. Um, Money is the root of all evil. Now, like, we we hear this all the time, but it's actually a misquote of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And so what I want us to do is like keep things in in perspective. That money is not evil. Money is a tool. Money is neutral. And the Bible gives us a framework of how we're to use it. That we can use our money to love and honor God. We provide for our family. That we can show tangible love to those around us. We can advance the gospel. We can simply use our money to have some fun. But there's warnings about it. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 5, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the sea. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. And the very first commandment of the 10 deals with idolatry. And an idol, just simply put, is, is like any object or person that we worship as God, or we kind of put in the, the place of primary importance in our lives, that it kind of dictates how we do everything. And the reality is, in our culture, if we're going to have an idol, Money is a prime candidate. Like the, the, the fact that we're dealing with money right now is bothering some of you. You're going like, don't touch there. Just, 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 just leave, that, leave that part of my life alone. Like you would rather I talk about 
almost any other topic besides money, like anything. And the reason is money is a tempting idol. Money can come between us and God. And for some of us, like, again, I always try and be honest here because like, I, I'm, I'm, I, I preach about some of the things I think and some of the things I feel. Like it's like, here's the thing. Money, money can come between us and God. And it's easy for us to go, I love God. I worship him. He's most important. But then our lives might make a statement that we actually serve money more. We trust money to provide and provide security for us more than God ever could. And it doesn't take a large amount of money to come between us and God, but just a little in the wrong place can obscure our view of reality and our priorities. And our desire for money can easily become the greatest hindrance to us fully following Jesus. Like, as I said before, money is a tool. It, it's kind of neutral. It can be used for good. Um, like, I, I, I can go, I can take my five bucks, put a down payment on a drink at Starbucks and save up the rest that I could have one someday. But it's, it, it's kind of like this. It's, it, it's neutral. But when money becomes our primary focus, when money becomes what we think about, what we dwell on, what we pursue most, it can obscure our view of reality. When, when money is what I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing in my life, and this is what I'm focusing on, and the closer the head I hold it, it begins to kind of blur out and hide the things that are truly important in my life. Jesus says money can create heart issues, and heart issues will trickle into your relationship with your, your spouse, and with your kids, and with your friends, and with your coworkers, and all the money in the world is not going to solve the, the heart issues that are created by money. It's a common story that, that like somebody, what, what happens? They win the lottery. They're, they're, they're wealthy. But what happens is it's great at first, but it's like, they just want my money. They're, they're, they're just my friend for my money. They're, they're trying to get a piece of it. And we, we start to kind of push those people away in our lives. Or maybe somebody passes away and there's a large inheritance to be had. And what's the family do? Well, I'm entitled to some. I should have some. I should have more than that person. Yeah, they don't deserve it. Think of all the things I did for that person. Yeah. And we start to push those people away. Our, our, our family. Money can divide a family. There's parents. It's like, got to work. And they work more than they need to in order to have more money and have a higher standard of living. And as they're doing, what's happening? Their relationship with their kids is suffering. They're starting to lose a sight of what's truly important. It's a story where Christians, they start to prioritize work over worship. Why? Because they're trusted in money more. And, well, money can do this. And as they're doing this, what happens? Their relationship with God, their relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ, their, their eternal perspective begins to suffer because what? They're focusing on money. And so the love of money, what I'm saying is this, it makes us short-sighted. It hinders our view of what's true. And we live in a materialistic culture where people do daily battle with the God of money. Like we, we spend money that we have not yet earned to buy things that we do not need in order to impress people that we do not like. And I've said it before, but it's true. All of the stuff that we buy is the future stuff of a yard sale, a donation pile, or a junkyard. Like some, my kids, someday they'll, they'll probably be like, 
They'll find a drawer and be like, what do we do with all of dad's old iPhones? Like he just, just collected all this stuff. Like when a wealthy person dies, what often gets asked? How much did they leave behind? How much were they worth and why? Because we're going like, ah, the bigger the number, the more significant they were. But listen to the question. Like there's a statement in there. How much did they leave behind? They left it all behind. They took none of it with them. Not one cent went with them. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus asked, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And Jesus is going, it's foolish to invest your life in the pursuit of things that decay or can be stolen because your heart's going to be broken by them in the end. They cannot give you eternal life. They cannot give you eternal joy. And Jesus is going, choose your treasure well. Because for good or for bad, your treasure is going to take your heart with it. And so when asking us to give, God in many ways is, is giving us this test. It's going, where do your allegiances lie? Who do you trust most? Who do you worship? Has anybody played the game of Monopoly before? Anybody finished a game of Monopoly before? Okay, a few of us. And like, if, if you actually finish the game of Monopoly, good on you. Um, but like, if you've done that, you, you kind of sit there, you look over your Monopoly empire, everybody else who's been defeated walks away and they're all depressed. And you're like, look, look at me. I'm the man. I got hotels, I got cash, I got properties. They're all poor, I'm rich. But you're sitting there and they're like, oh man, I don't get to take any of this with me. Like you, you put it back in the box and what happens? You go back to real life being poor. Um, like that, that's kind of what, what happens. And, and more than we will ever know, Jesus understood that this world is temporary and that's why he's going, invest your life in the kingdom of God. We live in one of the richest places in the world. We are blessed more than, than we actually understand. And why is this? Is it so that we can buy more stuff and add more clutter to our homes? No. Like, and please understand, Jesus isn't against you having a savings account. But he is against greed. If we're not to store up here on earth, the obvious conclusion is that we're to give. And we've been blessed in the way that we've been blessed for a reason. It's not so that we can have more. But it's because he's given us the opportunity and the responsibility to fund the advancement of the gospel around the world. And so Jesus presents an alternate way to find significance with your money. He says, use it for ministry. Send it ahead. Invest in the kingdom. Like, well, again, the love of money, that makes us short-sighted. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is saying, get the money out of your eyes. Look beyond the next 20 to 70 years and look towards eternity. Because that's what matters in the end. Like there was a man who, who had a heart attack and he was rushed to the hospital and the, and the doctors had him stabilized. Uh, but, but the doctor said to the family, listen, only a few visitors at a time and don't do anything that's going to excite him because it could send him back into cardiac arrest. And so they were like, okay. But while he was in the hospital, a wealthy uncle passed away and he left this man $10 million. And the family was like, how do we tell him he's inherited $10 million without getting him too excited. And so what they said, like, let, let's make his pastor tell him. 
And, and so they bring in the pastor, and, and he goes in, and he's, he's kind of working up to it. And he asks the guy, what would you do if you inherited $10 million? The man thought about it for a little bit, and he said, like, given this event has kind of changed my perspective on things, I, I would actually give half of that money to the church. The pastor dropped dead. <laughs> now, giving back to God, it not only shows that we treasure him the most, but that money is used to advance the gospel. Like almost every program or plan for communicating the gospel costs money. And Luke chapter 16, verse 9 Jesus says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of worldly wealth so that when it fails, they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. And so what Jesus is going, like, you'll never be able to buy your salvation. It does not matter how much money you give to the church. That's not getting you into heaven. Jesus had to do that with his life offered on the cross. His blood bought your salvation. But what he's saying is you can use your worldly wealth to help others get to heaven. We can use it to help advance the gospel. And, and friends is such a general world, word. He says that your friends will welcome you there. But we can get a bit more personal. It's like it, your children could greet you there. Your grandchildren could greet you there. Your best friend could greet you there. And the investments that we make today can pay off in eternity when we see the people that we love there. And I said this first service, is like we kind of show up on a Sunday morning and this, this place just kind of exists. But this church would not exist without the sacrificial giving of, of, of brothers and sisters who came before us. This church would not have open doors without the sacrificial giving of those who call this church home. And so practically speaking, money is a critical component to the growth and health of a church and when money becomes like an issue in a church, they'll always starve the mission. The mission will suffer. Now, what is given to HCC? I just want you to know, it goes to support this church, missions, organizations in our community and around the world that seek to advance the gospel. It also goes to help show and, and shows tangible love to those in need here in our city and other parts of the world. And so what I'm saying is this, that our giving has positive and eternal consequences. And Jesus says, where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And if you look at the life of Jesus, power, money, and fame were never his end goal. But what does he say? I've come to seek and save the lost. And he's inviting us to come along on that journey. And the beautiful thing about Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus going to you, you know what? You can choose what to set your heart upon by, by what you treasure. Or we could say this, you can direct where your heart is by placing your treasure there. And Jesus warns us to choose our treasure well. And everywhere in the Gospels, the consequences of making the wrong choice are shown to be eternally disastrous. And so we can choose to serve God or we can choose to serve money, but not both. And, and here's the thing. I know there's somebody in this room going, but I'm going to try. And we're going, I, I can do it. You will not prove Jesus wrong. You will not prove Jesus wrong. And so God provides the church everything it needs to carry out the mission that he has given it. The question is, will we loosen our grips on what he's given to the church? And if we really want people to experience the love and grace of God and the community of his people, if we're going, yeah, that's important, we need to put our money where our mouth is. 
Now, the question people will always have in a giving sermon is this, how much money should Christians give to the church? They're like, let's get practical. And so let's get practical. Um, first, before I do this, I want to kind of say this. This is for those who call HCC home. If you're visiting, you're checking us out, we're not asking you to give. I'm not going to be like, let's pass the plate. Everybody throw some stuff in. We're not going to do that today. Um, secondly, we're not asking you to do something that we as leaders don't do ourselves. We're committed to this. We're practicing what we preach. I would also say this. Nobody is more or less welcome based off how much they give. Like Greg and I, we do not know how much people give. We are intentionally kept at an arm's length from that because we don't need to know that. Now, as we saw earlier in Leviticus 27.30, God asked for the tithe, or the first 10% of a person's earnings. And that was not a suggestion. That was, that was a command. Like, God did not look favorably upon the people who were like, ah, I don't think I'll give you 10%. It, it just doesn't go well in that way. But we are no longer under the old covenant. Praise God, we live under a new covenant because a lot, that old covenant was a lot of laws, a lot of ceremony, a lot of work. But Jesus comes, he lives a sinless life, he dies in our place, he rises, uh, is risen victoriously over sin and death, and that inaugurates this new covenant, which is far better And there are a lot of things that the old covenant required of us that are no longer binding on us today, but it kind of created this difficult thing where we go, okay, so what do we do with things like tithing? Are we still obligated to give 10%? And Christians argue about this. Are Christians obligated to give God 10% of everything that we earn? Now, there's, there's no hard percentage that's prescribed in the New Testament. There's no like number that's like, here's your Christian membership fee for the year. It doesn't work that way. The Israelites, though, they were required to give 10%. That was a starting place, actually. There was a lot more they were asked to give on top of that. Um, and the blessings of their covenant were, were different. They weren't as good as the blessings of under the new covenant Now, here's what we'd say. Under the new covenant, we're given forgiveness, new life, hope, adoption as children of God, and more. So how much should we give? We would say this. 10% is a pretty good place to start or aim for. Um, Because, like, we should not go, like, God, you deserve less when we look at what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ And you might kind of, like, we recognize everybody's in different stages and seasons, and you might not be able to start at 10% today, but I would encourage you to examine your spending and go, okay, where are some ways that we can make room for that in our budget? And I understand, yeah, we're dealing with inflation. Like, I I wince when I kind of roll up it with the cart at the grocery store. $4 mushrooms. Like, what is this? Like, I I get it. But even in a tight economy, We sacrifice for what we decide is most important to us. And so if 10% seems extravagant, even if we can easily afford it, that might be an indication of what we're treasuring. And it should be hard for us to say, you know what, I love God. I really want what God wants, but then not be willing to support kingdom growth. Like those two things, they're in opposition. God's grace is free but there's a cost to making disciples. So how to begin giving? I will, this is, we're wrapping up here. Make it a matter of prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 7 told us to give what we've decided in our heart. And so what you should do is submit yourself to God and ask him, what would you have me give? And if, if you hear, you come back, it's like, I heard zero. I don't think you heard from God. Pro- probably not. Um, something else whispering in your ear. Um, 
Number two, understand that the God we serve is not a God of limited resources. He is the God who created everything, and he is still able to create and provide. In Matthew chapter 6, I love this. Immediately after Jesus is talking about how we use our money, he's going, I know some of you are freaking out, going like, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What are we going to drink? Jesus is like, don't worry about it. God knows what you need. He's going to provide for you. And I can, my testimony is this. As long as I've given faithfully to God, God's been there to provide for my need, and I can probably pull out a bunch of others who can testify to the same thing in this room. The final thing is just do it. Like, every one of us knows we should exercise, right? But here's the thing. If you wait until you feel like exercising, (laughs) probably not going to do it. And giving is the same thing, like almost any other discipline. If you wait until, like, ah, I have the urge to give— probably going to be waiting a while. You probably won't be doing it. And so give as if God is really in charge of everything we own and have. Give without hesitation or begrudgingly. And where we store our treasure, Jesus says, that indicates where our heart is. It indicates whether we're all in on the mission of Jesus. And God, he's not after your money. He's pursuing your heart.